Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 238 of the Tech Bootcamp Podcast. The title of today's interview is Swords to Plowshares, an interview with Clarence Smith. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Folks, we decided to name this episode Swords to Plowshares because it captures the essence of the healing journey of this wonderful woman from Belgium. Clarence was a combat martial artist, a boxer, and a competitive sports teacher. And she realized that that mindset, the warrior mindset, actually set her up for chronic Lyme disease. When she changed her mindset and she abandoned the warrior spirit and became more of a loving spirit, what she discovered was that she would manifest herself physically differently, emotionally differently, and that led her to healing. And today she has now changed careers. She is now working as a healer in the Lyme disease community. Without further ado, I'm really excited to introduce to the Tick Boot Camp community, Sword Supply Shares and Clarence Smiths. Hello, Clarence Smiths, and welcome to the Tick Boot Camp podcast. Thanks. Hi, We're really excited to have you, Clarence, and we always love to have our international guests on the podcast. So for context, can you share with our listeners where you are calling in from today? I am calling from Belgium, Antwerp City. Well, we want to shout out to all the folks in, uh, in Belgium and, uh, and thank you on their behalf for uh, taking some time to speak with uh, our community. So, so Clarence, talk to us uh, a little bit about your background. Where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in a town called Kontig in Antwerp. And I've always been a very sportive, energized uh, kid. Mm. Pretty social, always around people, uh, very present. Uh, I think everybody always knew when I was around. Uh, and background, sports, social, sports and social, being around people. So during your childhood, what was your vision for your future? Did you have a dream mm. about what you were going to do when you grew up? Yes. Uh, either when I was little, I would I want to be to get to be um, become a vet veterinary veterinary yeah vet. veterinarian yes yeah thanks and sports teacher a sports teacher so yeah. you had this uh, dual path that you wanted to pursue and what type of things did you do to prepare yourself to become a veterinarian and a sports teacher during your childhood? Mm, I became. I became in love with horses. So I had a few horses myself as a child. I was taking care of, going to the manege, um, being around in nature. So I think that's one part of me. And the other part was that I, I started doing judo. So I went on judo class and I, from my five years old or six years old, I started to do competition. So being horses, judo, and friends. Uh, I think those prepared me for future. So it seems to me that you are the kind of person that really valued the outdoors, and you also valued having the capacity to protect yourself or defend yourself, which is why you were studying judo at the same time. So you had this sort of dual set of interests where you wanted to be safe, and you wanted to enjoy the outdoors, and you were pursuing that during your childhood. Yeah, I think... You can mention, yeah, a little like that. I really enjoyed sports and I was also um, inspired by my dad and my brother. My dad always had, he has, he did judo himself. 
and my brother so I don't know I guess my parents they introduced me to judo and I became good at it and I like sports and being social so it just grew on me so talk to <coughs> excuse me talk to us about what the educational system was like that you had gone through um, during your childhood I went to just um, how you say normal elementary school uh, part of and then high school I did three years of um, um, alternative uh, education you know Rudolf Steiner it's more creative uh, kind of um, yeah education I went there for three years but I was so energized so I switched to sports education so I, when I was 15 years old I started to do sports education so now talk to us about um, what types of information you received either in your science classes or your health classes when you're pursuing sports education mm. about protecting yourself from ticks or any type of uh, tick vectors. None. <laughs> uh, did you even know what a tick was? And we'll talk about when you had gotten sick. Did you even know what a tick was before you had gotten sick? I, I did heard about it. And I also heard about um, symptoms like getting paralyzed or very tired. So I've heard about it, but I didn't have, before I became sick, I didn't look into it or didn't have any ID or relation with that information. So let's, let's focus first on your, your equestrian interest. You said you were, you were interested in horses and you, and you had a love for horses. As part of owning horses and, and, and your love for uh, equestrian sports, did you, did you learn anything about how to check your horses for ticks um, and or to protect yourself from coming in contact with ticks if they were on your horse? Um, yeah, I, we, I did have uh, attention for it because of um, the vets, because we were, anyway, I took my horses many times into the woods. Um, so the vet, you know, and also I had seen some, I had removed some because the vet and my father showed me. And as a kid, I also always went to a kind of a camp uh, and we played a lot of outdoors and it was a standard rule that at the end of the day, everybody had to check each other on, in the shower on ticks and get removed them. Also there, because... They did say like, okay, it's dangerous. You can get really ill from it. You can get paralyzed or this can have consequences. So I had some experience, but not being very uh, aware or. Well, well, but let's, let's talk a little bit more about that, Claire, because it seems to me that during your childhood, you have a lot of information about ticks and Lyme disease. You were generally aware of ticks and Lyme disease uh, during your childhood. As, as an equestrian athlete and as someone who had the responsibility of taking care of her horses and bringing her horses to vets, you received information from the vet about ticks and how to remove them from your horse. And you were also a camper, at least during parts of your life where you went to camps. And when you went to camps, not only were you aware of ticks, but part of the culture of being at the camp was that you would check other campers for ticks when you're in the shower and they would check you for ticks, correct? Yeah. So this is not 
you know, ticks and Lyme disease is not something you were entirely unfamiliar with when the time came that you ultimately got sick, right? I mean, this is something that was a part of your life, both educationally and culturally. Yeah, when you say so, yeah. I wasn't very aware of it because, uh, but now, yeah, it's absolutely, it's true. That's some background. So, Clarinet, but it's not that you weren't aware of it because you were aware of it. It sounds to me that you just didn't understand how bad it could be or how great the threat was. And because you didn't realize from the education that you had received how serious the threat was, you didn't really think it was something you needed to protect yourself from. Yeah, at that time. It didn't, it didn't look so super important. So do you recall at any time during your childhood finding a tick biting on you or a family member or a fellow camper checking you and finding a tick on you? Yeah, I had some. That happened. On how many different times do you recall a tick being found on you, either you finding a tick on yourself or some other person checking you finding a tick on you? I think most of these happened during the camps and that's between an age of six and 12 years old. Now, when you found these ticks on you or others found ticks on you, were there any steps taken to protect you from getting sick from Lyme disease or was the tick just removed and that was it? Yeah, removed, that was it. Now, do you know if the camp counselors or anybody at the camp contacted your parents to let them know that you had been bitten by a tick? Mm, I don't think so, because it's like, even the way you pronounce being bitten by a tick, I think at that moment, we just, I and the others just look at, oh, there is a tick, let's remove it. And the bite, it makes it more like there is a consequence. And, and that step is already um, I not there, I think. Like, okay, tick, take it off. It's okay. In that time. Now it will be different. Pretty sure of that. So now talk to us about when you first started to feel the symptoms of what you now know to be your chronic Lyme disease. Um, when I was 27, I started to feel um, tired a lot, many all the time, like really, really tired. Um, I had a lot of um, inflammations in my body, shoulder, wrists, uh, knees, and it was changing places, but there was always like an injury all the time. Um, so that's, that were the most severe symptoms that was, that started with me. So first talk to us about how these symptoms were interfering with your life. And then talk to us about what steps you took to deal with these symptoms that you were feeling. Um, at that moment, I was working as a sports teacher in high school sports education. I had my own business as a lifestyle coach in sports and teaching boot camps, uh, working in evenings in a bar as bartender. I was, um, I was uh, constricting a house. I was very, very busy at the moment. I, had, I, was, uh, I was a very active person, busy all the time. And because of the symptoms as at the first hand, the fatigue, uh, uh, fatigue and also like brain fog. I, I, there was no information hanging and staying and everything was too much. Also, um, 
sounds, smells, a touch. Um, I was overwhelmed all of the time. That was the first, uh, that was very, very severe in the beginning. So it started interfering that my, I, I, I needed to quit my side job as a personal coach because I was not able to do any sports anymore and especially not an extra job beside my, my, my head job as a teacher in school. So I left that out uh, first. And then later on, I felt like I wasn't even able to stand. Uh, the, the, the classes I was teaching in schools, it was always like um, one class is two hours. So even that wasn't possible anymore for me. Uh, after a while, I always had to sit down uh, when I was talking or I, I sometimes, of course, yelling like, ah, everyone come over here. I felt getting dizzy, like, whoa, like, okay, I can't like, yeah, uh, dizzy. Or when I felt I became angry or stressed out or I get really black in front of my eyes. I got really dizzy. I needed to sit down a lot. I, uh, after one day of teaching at school, I just needed to go lie down and sleep. I just wanted to sleep and lie down all of the time. Needed to be in a dark room, no sounds, no lights, nothing. Like no, um, yeah, just really switch off and, and tune out. So as these symptoms were developing, you started to reduce your commitments, right? So you were, I guess, by any any definition of, of, of overcommitted, you were overcommitted, right? You were building a house. You had a job as a, as a school teacher. You were working as a bartender. You were working as a personal trainer. So your interpretation of what was happening with all the fatigue that you were feeling was that you were doing too much and you weren't resting enough. So you started to scale back some of what you were doing, hoping that that would improve the fatigue that you were feeling. Absolutely. And also another thing I like to mention is in my youth, I always, so I've done like 10 years top sports judo, like a very high uh, level, international. And I, after that, I started to do boxing. So just to have a right impression of me, I'm a really hard worker and I had like very high intense sports all of my life. All right. So, you, so, you, so you, at the time you were also engaging in two different combat sports, both judo and boxing. Um, and you, so your, your, your feeling was I'm overcommitted. I'm doing too much. Even though that was never a problem for me before, mm -hmm. I'm now going to do less. So how did that work for you? When you started to take activities out of your life, did that improve your health? It was very, very hard. I was emotionally uh, getting in a really sad place, like very frustrated. I got scared, like, oh shit, I can't handle this or uh, what's going on? Like I've been doing this all my life and what's wrong and uh, very frustrated, like feeling failure. Like I'm afraid, I, like not just, I'm not able to handle my jobs or my commitments or my interests. Also friends, well, no time and energy for friends anymore. I was getting more and more in a place of failure on every part in my life, everywhere. So this had an impact on your identity. You started to see yourself 
you initially saw yourself as a very active, very athletic person mm. to now being someone who was a failure. Yeah, and non-social, because besides that, I've been a very social, uh, outgoing person, going out a lot, always around people, lots of friends, uh, very present. Um, and because of the fatigue and the, the, the overwhelming feelings, uh, the pain, I needed to shut off all the time. Really, I didn't have the energy or the the interest to see people anymore because everything was too much and also that thing came along like oh shit what's this i'm gonna lose friends so more anxiety more and more and more and more anxiety for future and what's happening or so Clarence, you have this contrast this this stark contrast between being this uber social uber athletic hard driven person to now someone who is now isolated and doing less and feeling like a failure. When, you, when all of this was happening, when did you finally decide to start to see healthcare uh, professionals to see if you could get any help with this extreme change in your health? I first went to see my PhD and actually, actually this went pretty fast. So my PhD is also a homeopath. So he has both and I'm raised in a way of homeopathy, natural uh, healing okay. from my, my parents in home. Um, the, and that time I went to my, so my PhD and I was talking about all this, the pain and the triggers and overwhelming the fatigue. So he did a blood test. Uh, what first comes out was, um, how you say, yellow fever like uh, uh the, what's it called the fever um sorry my english um yeah the fever that creates chronic fatigue um okay, okay. chronic ch chronic fatigue syndrome yeah something like that um then epstein-barr epstein perhaps yes yeah okay. i mean epstein-barr that was the first uh first diagnosis that i have had so I thought, okay, it's normal. All these symptoms, Epstein-Barr, I just need to cut off things. I need to rest and, and it's going to be okay. Then I went to a woman who was um, helping with, with acupuncture. Yes, you went to an acupuncturist. Thanks. Um, for all the inflammations uh, I was feeling and uh, opening so the, the energy would be flowing around more. And she was the one, she was feeling my pulse. And she was actually the one, the first one who said like, I think you should get checks on Lyme disease. So I was really shocked, like what Lyme disease and also uh, um, just, just her skills, uh, what she was doing, how she would guess I have Lyme disease. It was the first time I heard about it. So I went back to my, 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 my page, PhD a little later, like, okay, this uh, Epstein bar is okay, but it's 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 still here. It's not leaving. And by the way, this uh, lady told me to get checked on Lyme disease. So he did very fast a new blood test with um, checking for uh, Lyme disease. And very soon the result was that I have Lyme disease. So he started treating on that me with a homeopathic. Um, 
I would say medicine. And be, then, yeah, there is then, even though I had this diagnosis from one PhD, it, nothing was, I was not getting better. So, and even also, uh, it was not very known five years ago in my environment or, um, yeah, then I think a whole story of miscommunication, conflicts with my environment and seeing a lot more different doctors to search for, okay, what else can help me? What else is going on? Maybe something else is also going on because it's getting worse and worse and worse. Let's search for something or someone who can help me. So Clarence, the diagnostic portion of your journey seems to have been pretty short, right? You, you, you had your symptoms that were overwhelming you. You went to, uh, you went to your PhD. Mm -hmm. um, you had your initial blood test with, um, with, uh, which indicated that you were positive for Epstein-Barr. You went to the, you went to the, um, the practitioner who, who you went to, to deal with your inflammation. And she had said to you, Hey, you, um, you may, um, you may have Lyme disease. You went back to the doctor and you took the Lyme disease test and, and it came back positive for Lyme disease. Um, how long in total was it? between the first time you went to your PhD and the second time you went to your, your PhD where you, where you received your Lyme disease diagnosis? I don't know, maybe six months or something. Now, how did your symptoms change between the first time you went to the doctor and the second time you went to finally receive your Lyme disease diagnosis? Everything just got a lot worse. And that's the reason why I didn't, um, why the diagnosis from this doctor, uh, like this is Lyme disease was enough for me because I was like, okay, but maybe something else is also actually going on and what, and there is maybe some medication for it because my PhD, he did gave me the antibiotics to, for typical Lyme disease, like try this just to okay. be sure. But I, I want to look backward from that point first, and then, then Matt will be taking you forward. I, I just want to look backward because one of the things we've seen consistently on this podcast is um, many of our guests have uh, uh, been tested for Epstein-Barr and have been positive for Epstein-Barr, but the doctors don't take the next step to determine whether or not that's an indication of, of, of uh, an immune compromising event and their body's inability to manage uh, a virus they could otherwise manage or previously manage because the Lyme disease was in fact uh, compromising their, their immune system. And, and I'm just wondering whether or not there was any discussion when you met with your PhD about Lyme disease when the Epstein-Barr diagnosis came in. And in particular, I'm wondering whether or not the PhD had asked you whether or not you'd ever been bitten by a tick because you had been bitten by ticks many times during your childhood. So there seemed to have been enough information for him to diagnose you with the with Lyme disease and encourage you to take the Lyme disease test even before you went out to deal with the inflammation issues you were dealing with um, to the other practitioners. So let's focus on that for for a moment. Did the did the PhD ask you whether you have been bitten by a tick? Had have have you been in tick endemic communities? Was that even a part of the conversation when you and he had uh, the initial contact? and you were given the Epstein-Barr test. Yeah, absolutely. We had this we have had this talk and we have shared this information. And like I said, I, 
I have had a tick bite like six months before uh, all these symptoms started. I, and I had a rash. I didn't know it was a tick bite. I just had a rash and I didn't pay any attention to it because I was a very busy woman at that moment in life. Claren, I want to understand the actual diagnosis portion of your journey. So you went to this acupuncturist to get help with your Epstein-Barr virus, and she suggested that you get tested for Lyme disease. So you went back to your PhD or your primary care doctor. And did your primary care doctor run any specific labs to diagnose you with Lyme disease? And do you recall where that that lab work was, if so? Yeah, um, he did from the first time I asked about it. Um, the lab and the test, I think it's run in Belgium or Germany. So it wasn't a specialized lab. It wasn't like a private lab in the States or, or some sort of international lab that you used. No, no. And you did mention that this doctor was able to help you and at least give you some antibiotics to try to help you treat. Do you recall what those antibiotics were that you were given? Um, what's the name of the one that he, they give everyone? Uh, doxycycline? Yeah, this one. And just doxycycline. You, you were prescribed, right? And also uh, in homeopathic medicine, just to uh, help the feeling of anxiety and to calm down the nerve system. But the name of this medicine, there's like, there is like so many different <laughs> homeopathic medicines so that. So Kyron, let me, before, before we move too far forward with your treatment, I, I want to focus on something that you and I were just talking about, which was the rash that you had discovered about six months or six weeks, I'm sorry, before you went to see the doctor and your symptoms mm -hmm. ha had developed. Um, were you aware at that time that a rash would be an indication of Lyme disease? Yeah, absolutely. But I thought it was something else at that moment. Okay, so where, where was the rash? What part of your body was the rash and what did it, what did it look like? Uh, uh, was on the right shoulder, uh, uh, right like bicep, somewhere under my shoulder, right bicep. And it was more like a circle uh, filled in with red rash. Yeah. And when you saw that rash, did that suggest to you that you should see a doctor to make sure that it would not be a Lyme rash? I thought it was called a Katerina circle. So it's a different symptom. It's a different diagnosis. And I've had that before when I was younger. So they diagnosed it as a Katerina circle. So I thought, okay, it's this again. I, sur I survived it before, so it, I'm going to be fine. And I have, even though I, I know very well where it happened because I was with my aunt, she lives in the south of France and she has, a, her husband is a sheep farmer. So I was around sheep in, in outdoor um, all of the time. And it's very, I am very aware of sheep wearing ticks everywhere around in this area. But still, even I saw the rash, I was not thinking about, oh, maybe it's a tick bite. Oh yeah, it's a rash of tick none of it occurred to me. I was like, ah, it's this, I had that before. It's going to be fine. Just let's go. All right. Some people tell us they use homeopathic medicine to work in parallel or together with antibiotics, meaning that the homeopathic medicine is used to kill the Lyme bacteria or to actually treat the disease. 
And other people use homeopathic medicine to help rebuild their body and their immune system and help detox. So do you know what your doctor was using homeopathic medicine for? Was it for killing the disease or, you know, addressing on killing the pathogens or was it to rebuild your body and help you help you become stronger? Um, I think all around, like, uh, there is no, there is not like, I think everybody knows there is not one. Okay. There is not one medicine. Just take this pill and it's going to be fine. Everything's going to be whoop, like well again. So my doctor was trying to help me all around to get better, to get stronger, to be stable. Um, that's homeopathy doesn't work for just one symptom. It's very all around. So can't. So, so Claire, I, I believe what you're telling us is that homeopathic medicine is a whole body approach. So it wasn't just killing the bacteria. It wasn't just helping you strengthen your immune system. It was taking a holistic approach to repair your body as a whole. Yeah. Now here in the United States, regular doctors, primary care physicians, as we call them here in the States, generally don't recommend homeopathic medicine or natural medicine. It's usually just pharmaceuticals like doxycycline. So is it common in Belgium for doctors to prescribe prescription medication like doxycycline and homeopathic medicine? No. Uh, and most, most of the doctors, uh, I don't, there are no, there are few homeopaths, not, not a lot. And I, most of the people I know, they just go to a regular doctor and for my opinion, this is like, I don't know all these doctors, but my opinion here in Belgium is that there is more uh, conventional medicine and approach than alternative or homeopathic or natural approach. So because, so because you were brought up in a homeopathic or natural medicine family, you had a primary doctor who was open to that, but you're saying in Belgium, for the most part, doctors don't look at natural medicine as a tool they use. Yeah. And I do prefer, because I'm an adult, so I choose my own doctor now. And I like to have a doctor who has both, who has the conventional approach, just for uh, severe danger. I like to have that as well. Like if I, if I, if there is like, I don't know, cancer or break a leg or just conventional approach and homeopathic, natural, holistic approach, both. I think it's a really good approach that you that you have and you were brought up with. But I do want to ask you about the time you got sick and the time you got diagnosed, because we do know that you were doing some renovations on your home at that time. And we do know that mold can play a really important role when getting sick from Lyme disease and impact the severity of your illness and also impact its ability to become chronic. So when you were renovating your home, did you ever think about the possibility of mold exposure contributing to your decline in health? Um, what is, sorry, mold? I, mold, I, like green mold. Yeah. Or, or I'm sorry, black mold. Um, you know, like, uh, if you're in a shower, you have a lot of water and black mold can develop. It's like, like uh, a fungus with spores. Ah, uh, if you, if, like, if this was in around in the house? Correct. Yes. Ah, uh, Probably there were some, it's very old. It needed to have a total re renovation. So yeah, it was uh, not in the best state. Mold will be, have been present in the house. Yeah. Cause generally older homes or homes that have suffered water damage 
will have mold. And when, when we come into contact with mold, we've learned from a lot of the leading Lyme doctors that a tick bite and Lyme disease can be made so much worse when you come into contact with mold and that can trigger the chronic form of Lyme disease. So I wonder if that's what happened when you got really sick, was your body managing it to the best of its abilities until it couldn't anymore because you were renovating your home and came into contact with these toxins or the, or the mold? Mm, I don't believe that that has been, for me personally, I don't believe that has been the thing that made me so much worse. So I wonder if the stress of renovating your home also though contributed to your, your decline in health because we know stress can weaken your immune system. So what do you think about that? Definitely. Like this, um, I think that there is a lot of things that making thing, that was making the Lyme uh, works at that time. Of course, stress, I was doing way too much. Uh, even when I was a very health, healthy person, I was doing a lot um so yeah stress contributes um yeah i don't know there's um, the moment that i i bought a house for a total renovation i was feeling really fit the moment that i was buying this i was successful uh everything was complete like doing yes everything was going well and at the renovation um the whole house was already uh, how you say stripped so it was all blank walls open stripped yeah there was mold in the house and there's a lot of stress by or uh, a lot of pressure there is a lot to think about a lot of organization a lot to do so even a healthy person will be stressed out and tired so with the li with the lime i had already lime during that that moment uh, i didn't know when i not I even had that tick bite before. Uh, I had this tick bite during the renovation. It started. And when it was stripped out, the house, then I came on the moment that I just need to quit with everything. There, is, there were so many uh, reasons why Lyme would get worse. It was too much. The perfect storm, right? You're, you're, you have stress. You're working a lot of jobs. You probably weren't sleeping a lot. We know you told you talked to us that you were going out and socializing a lot because you were, you know, a young, healthy young woman. And it sounds like you were, you know, drinking, which a lot, all young people do. And we know when you drink alcohol, that can also cause you to, to have, uh, you know, flares of Lyme or make Lyme disease worse. So I think all the things that were going on in your life were contributing to Lyme making you sicker, but you didn't even know you had Lyme yet at that point. Yeah. So... You know, we, we, we heard from Crystal Hefner, who we interviewed on this podcast about a month or two ago, that she was partying a lot. She was drinking a lot and she was doing a lot of things that looking back were not good from a self-care standpoint. And now she's had to change her lifestyle. And because of that change lifestyle, she's doing so much better and healthier. And she, looking back, she realized that that was another contributing factor to her, her health decline. So do you think that your, your social life possibly contributed as well, meaning that you were not getting enough sleep, you were drinking too much alcohol, maybe you were partying a little bit too much. Of course, all these things uh, makes my, have made my immune, system, my immune system lower. So I think my, actually, I think my whole lifestyle con contributed to get Lyme in the first place. Like, okay, somebody gets a tick bite, but never get ill. But if you have a lifestyle like this, like way too much, way too hard, 
actually not healthy at all, there is no balance, then I believe you will be even more uh, easy to, I, mean, I don't know the right word, but to get Lyme when you are get infected. Right. You're more likely to get sick from it rather than being somebody who gets bit by a tick, infected with Lyme and never showing any symptoms. Yeah, of course. I, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, and we do know that sometimes people can get bit by bit by ticks, and their symptoms don't present until many years later because of their lifestyle, as you noted. So it's lifestyle that contributes to the significant decline in many cases, but also other contributing factors like mold we talked about, right? And also other other genetic predispositions. So there's so many factors that go into why people get so sick from Lyme disease. Now, when you're treating with your your PhD and you're using homeopathic medicine and doxycycline, how long were you on the doxycycline for? Um, four weeks, four weeks. Now at the end of that period, did you feel better? No. What was your doctor saying? Was it, was it okay? We've cured you from Lyme disease, but it's still the Epstein-Barr virus keeping you sick. No, no, no. He just uh, recognized like, okay, this is shit. This is, I, I, I'm, let's see where it goes and let's try to continue our treatment. And, uh, like I said, it's holistic. So he's treating to, uh, Emotionally, uh, physically, uh, mentally, uh, this is what homeopathy does. Not just one symptom or one cause. It's going to see all the symptoms and get, trying to do something overall. Um, he, this doctor, I'm really grateful because this is the one doctor who had been open-minded and not trying to put one sticker on it. Like, okay, you have Epstein-Barr, buff. And this is only Epstein-Barr or, or it's Lyme disease, buff. No, because at this moment, actually I could have chronic fatigue, chronic pain, a burnout, uh, depression, like all these things are there. So he's trying to treat me for all the symptoms, not just one uh, uh, mark, not just Lyme, just, okay, let's see what's helping you. And don't I think he or even fibro fibromyalgia he's like he just listens and look at me like what's happening okay let's try to do as much as we can and leave the label out it's not about the label it's not about Lyme it's not about fibromyalgia it's about me overall but he's one doctor who has been supporting me from this first day Epstein-Barr Two, I have seen a lot of other professors and doctors later on with all different diagnoses, but that doesn't matter. He was just supporting me all of the time and also helping me to get, to be legally at home, uh, being financially supported by the government, by my job, by my employee. Uh, so th this doctor gets a lot of credits from me anyway. He has been there, open-minded, non-judging. So, Claren, what was next? After the antibiotics didn't help, what did this doctor give you next to help you or try to help you? So he sent me to uh, do more research in uh, endo endocrinology. Endocrinology. Thank you. That, so I went to a professor, several. I, I think I saw three because he was my, my PhD wanted to have more information, wanted to see if like, okay, what else going wrong? Because you have so many symptoms going on, not just one label. There is a lot going on. Let's do more research. What's going on. And these doctors. So then I had diagnosis, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, 
I had also a um, brain scan of my, how you say, pituitary? Uh, like, like, a, like a PET scan or an MRI? Yeah. A scan yeah. of your, your head. Yeah. Um, because um, my, I'm trying to, let's see. Ah, adrenal, my adrenal was Adrenals. so, adrenals were, they were like so exhausted, extremely exhausted. I was in, because at the moment I, I, there, I came to a point I, I couldn't get out of bed anymore. I couldn't go to work anymore. So I did more researches and my adrenals, they were not functioning. So I, uh, that's why I went. Um, another thing that diagnosed that came along was that I had two, let me see in English. Um, Hmm. Sorry, I'm, I really need to Google these words because in Dutch and English is very no, different. Please, you speak several languages. Rich and I only speak one language. So we credit you for being <laughs> on this podcast and talking with us today. So, um, and yeah. So I went to the endocrinologist. And he did a scan, an MRE uh, of my head and blood, te blood uh, tests and everything. So what he did found, he found two, um, let's see, growths in my pituitary, pituitary. Pituitary, yeah. Yeah. And that was his explanation um, of why hormonal and my energy and my hormones, and there were so many disbalance and nothing was functioning. When you, did you say growth on your pituitary? Is that what you said? Um, yeah, how you see? Like a mass or a tumor on your pituitary. Yeah. Your pituitary. Okay, like a tumor. And that yeah. was messing with your hormones and therefore you had, you, your, your adrenals were just depleted. Yeah, and therefore I had so many, uh, the fatigue that would have explained that whole house uh, holding was in this balance. Everything, the, the fatigue, emotional swings, the pain, everything was totally imbalanced and it was like going crazy, like really crazy. Um, yeah. So that was another diagnosis that was very stressing. I was like, Oh my God, I got two tumors. What else coming up here? So it was getting worse and the diagnosis were getting worse because chronic fatigue and all these people saying, Oh, you're not going to get better. Oh, it's sad because you're so young and yeah, you're really going to, get to live with it or the other one's like oh you have two tumors we have to do surgery and it's also severe because it's behind your eyes um so yeah even more stress was coming up that was not helping me but claren i think you were doing everything right and what i mean by that is that i want to challenge you a little bit on what you said earlier because you said that your your natural doctor your homeopathic phd is the one who looked at you as a whole and treated the whole person and the other doctors, like your endocrinologist and the other doctors who diagnosed you with chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia, they all were just focusing on the one label, right? And you said, yeah. it's not about the label, it's about me, which Rich and I a thousand percent agree with. But I also wonder, did these other doctors serve a purpose? Meaning you're, you're being very critical of them. And I understand why, because they weren't really able to help you the way you deserve to be helped, but they were giving you information. They were part of your team. 
you were building a team of doctors and your PhD was at the center of it. Your naturopathic doctor was at the center of your team. You were then going out and going to all these specialists and obtaining additional data and information, like you had tumors on your, on your pituitary, you had all these other blood work, you know, things going on. And then your, your, your main doctor was able to utilize that to help fine tune what you're doing from a holistic standpoint. So do you think that those other doctors, although they were sort of narrow minded and not looking at you as a person, but rather a, a number and a label, were giving you data that your team collectively was able to use to help target your therapies from a holistic standpoint to help you get better? Mm, I think every doctor that I have seen did their his best. And every doctor I have seen gave me information I could work with because none of them lied. They only gave me, like you said, more data. The only thing is that with all these data, of course, they all had different labels, different approaches. I, I listened. I gave every one of them a chance. They all have like different approach. So uh, with a different diagnosis, you get, of course, a different um, um, treatment. Right. That's normal. And I went through very, like I said, it's a five-year journey. And the first two years, I've been from treatment to treatment, from doctor to doctor, because I was not getting better. So I think it's normal. Mm. Uh, was my choice. I, I, I tried something for six months. It's not helping me. Okay, let's go next. Do something else. So I've been on this journey for two years. It was my choice getting data, getting different treatments, finding, searching, looking for something that will help me. And like you said, I had my PhD in the center because I always went back with all different, all every new, um, um, all the data I, I, I got from all the other uh, re researchers. I always brought back to my PhD to discuss, see what's going on. Okay, what else is going on? Okay, what is this? So he was helping to um, to gather everything together and and um, yeah. Your he was your project manager. He was the yeah. lead of your team. He was your team leader. Absolutely. Now you're, and I see what you're saying with these other doctors. They were they were diagnosing you with a label. And then they were treating that label, but not factoring in anything else going on with the whole body. And therefore you weren't getting better. So for the first two years, you were treating labels and weren't getting better because you weren't taking that holistic approach. And probably Lyme disease was still in the picture, causing you to have a weakened immune system, to have inflammation and really stirring up your body to get sicker and sicker over the first two years. So I do wonder, you know, you're doing all this. You mentioned that, you know, you, you kind of pulled back. You had no social life. You, you had to step down from personal training, but you were still trying to teach, but it was very difficult. Did you, at some point in this two-year window, had to, did you have to take a, a leave of absence from your teaching job? Long time. First time I, I, I started, I stopped teaching in uh, January, I think 2018 until September, 2018, I, I had to quit for seven months. And, and every two months I was hoping, okay, maybe it's going to get better. Maybe I can start again in September full time and let's keep the hope up. And I was feeling extremely burnout and depressed, getting more and more depressed because I was, yeah, frustrated. Like just wanted to stop the bullshit inside yeah. of me in a way. Um, so yeah, I stopped for seven months. Then I started again half time. I even couldn't restart it full time again. 
half time and this have um, let's say my boss and my colleagues they really didn't appreciate that because they needed someone full-time and they needed the old Claren back no, no no just stop the bullshit it's really done or you just come back and you do your job full-time and just do normal or you just don't fit in anymore so this all was or nothing the- meaning you have to do it all or nothing there's no part-time although they brought you back part-time but that wasn't acceptable to them so you were in a lose-lose situation it was really, I was in a very unsafe, not supported situation. The first seven months, there was, there was of course, a, a compassion and, oh my God, oh, it's so sad, Claren is ill. They, they were worried, but it didn't, it was just taking too long, you know? Yeah. So, but that, that's very common with Lyme disease where in the beginning, sometimes people will have compassion and, oh, we're so sorry you're sick. But a few months in, they lose patience and they want to see the old person back. And that's when the difficulties come in. And that's what happened for you as well. In the beginning, your your colleagues and your supervisors and your bosses were understanding that you were sick. But when it went on for a few months and longer, they started to get frustrated and to really get get difficult and hard with you and telling you you need to get better or get out of here. Yeah, like that. And also the thing is that Lyme disease is not known it wasn't known in my environment so there was no uh, understanding for it there was more understanding for uh, more uh, labels like uh, chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia or depression or burnout because it's more known than Lyme disease nobody knows what what the fuck is Lyme disease so So they thought they they thought you had all these labels that they thought you should be able to overcome but yet you had a wide variety of things going on including Lyme disease which nobody understood they, nobody wanted to recognize because at the beginning I said, this is Lyme disease. It's a cocktail of all these things. It's shit, but it's, a, it's, Lyme, it's what Lyme disease is. But they, even you have all these uh, tests done and all these uh, on paper from all these doctors who are actually saying like, okay, you have this and this and it's, it's, it's real. There was no understanding. There was, they didn't believe me. It was just faking. And I you just had- wanted to renovate my house, let's say like this. So Claire, yeah. you had you had blood work showing you had Lyme disease, and yeah. yet your work did not believe it because they didn't recognize or accept how severe Lyme disease can be, or, or in fact that it's even real. Indeed. Now, Claren, did you get, ever get tested for any co-infections? Were you ever diagnosed with anything like you know Bartonella, Babesia, Anaplasma, or Lichia? Were there any of those involved as well? Yeah, uh, because of the the pain and swelling in my feet. Um, I had one doctor who did side tests for Bartonella, but this was negative. The test was negative. The blood test was negative, even though all the symptoms were there. But we know the testing is not great. So clinically, you were diagnosed with Bartonella because of your symptomology, which goes hand in hand with your Lyme diagnosis, knowing you can get Lyme and Bartonella from a tick bite. So I understand when you went back to work part-time, Claren, that you, you did also move in with your brother and his wife because you were so sick, you could barely drive and barely take care of yourself. So walk us through what that was like having to move in with your brother and your sister-in-law. Oof. Even I feel when... Okay, so one of the things I learned is not suppressing my emotions. is really important. So even when you are mentioning this, I feel emotions coming up a lot of grief and maybe maybe shame 
So yeah, I think I was ashamed because um, being actually pretty successful, energized, having, I thought uh, things were going well, then stop working. Um, I had to stop the reconstruction of my house. And it's this project I went to live with my brother. Um, the first time, the first seven months that was not working, I was living with my brother at that time. And it's later when I, um, when I was a little bit back, more back on my feet, I, I tried to live uh, on my, my own again. Um, I started to try to work part-time. But the, the moment that I was living with my brother was a moment I, I felt like a, a helpless baby uh, and ashamed, like not being able to do anything, not being able to take care of myself, not being able to go to the, to the, the store, uh, not being able to prepare dinner. Uh, they both go to work. I'm at home all the day and I feel guilty because I'm at home all day and I'm not doing anything, just lying in bed. So at this point, though, Claren, you also were declining when you were living with your brother, right? From what I understand, this is when you started to have short-term memory loss and had the feeling of like your skin was on fire. So you were getting even more sick at this point, right? Yeah. Yeah, true. So what yeah. were you doing yeah. treatment-wise, yeah. though? Seven so I mean, months, um, Yeah, true. I was getting more sick. So your health continued to decline. You were living with your, your brother and your sister-in-law. What were you doing with your team of doctors and your main PhD, your natural doctor, to treat? What kind of, what kind of changes were you doing in your treatment to help address your decline in health? Um, I changed treatment by, at that moment, I I went to a doctor in London, uh, a homeopathic professor who, is, who runs his own, own school there. And he, because my, my, my father is also homeopath, he was studying at that moment homeopathy to find a cure for me as well. Not for his own interest, but really to find a cure while we help me. So his teacher, this professor has, who runs this school and um, um, uh, doctor, uh, how do you say, practice, practice? He, practitioner. Practitioner. So every he is doing this summer school and they search for cases, like very special cases, uh, people with um, special health issues or chronic health issues. So I went to London this time, I guess, to see these doctors. And all the students, because all the students were also there because I was a study case in that moment. And he started to treating me in a homeopathic way. And that's the time I think things started to change for me. You started to feel better? Oh, I'm sorry, but it's like, I, for me, uh, at this, so I feel uh, this is pretty chaotic because I'm not going from the right step to the right step where the, the story that we are now telling it's going uh, front and back all the time so I don't feel like I'm on the right uh, timeline in doing yeah. the story I'm telling. 
Claire, that's totally okay. It's these, okay. this happens all the time on this podcast where <laughs> these journeys are so complex that we bounce around. So that's don't, don't feel bad about that, that we do. And we'll, we'll, we'll intentionally call you back to moments. So don't, don't worry about that. But you, so you, you kind of bring us to a point in time where you were seeing a specialist in England and they were, he was treating you with some homeopathic medicine with a team of students and you started to, and that actually helped you. Right. So do you recall the name of the doctor in England that you saw and, and the practice? Yeah. This uh, professor, his name is Dr. Subrata. Dr. Professor Subrata, his name is. It's an Indian professor. And um, do you recall any of the specific homeopathic medicine? Do you recall any of the names of the, the medicines that you were on? Or was it, a, was it something that he made himself and it was something that he really didn't give you specific details of? Uh, uh, so I don't have, I don't have the names of the medicine with me. I think if you're, if you're, uh, if you are known in homeopathy and you hear the names of the medicine, you will probably recognize, but also at each medicine, uh, it's very personal. It's not one fit. It's, there is really not one fit for just one person. So it's so true. So I'm going to bounce back now. Again, I know we're bouncing around in your timeline. So this, again, this is normal and I apologize. It's just, we want to make sure we hit every part of your story here. And it is a, a lengthy journey. You were, you had to take time off work. You went back part-time. You were living with your brother and sister-in-law a little bit. Your health was up and down, up and down, a little bit better, a little bit worse. But then we know you ultimately, after being treated so poorly at work and, the, and, the, and your, your job just getting so mean with you and just not having any patience, you cracked, you had a breakdown. And at this point, you had to move back in with your parents. And this was a really, I think, a really emotional time in your life. So walk us through that period of when you had this, this crack and this breakdown and you had to move back in with your parents and you were really sick. Okay. Um, at this time, so before the crack, let's say first I went to work part-time again. Huh? And in this moment, I, I, I just started to uh, live again on myself. Uh, for a little while so I thought okay it's gonna be fine I, I live close to my work and that's gonna help me and to be alone um, I was a little better so that's the reason why I started to work part-time because I was a little better um, I really cracked because I did everything I could the most important thing for me I was focused on getting to work do the work that was the most important thing for me i was focused on being able to do my commitment towards my job um, because it, i had my position there was very valuable to me was very important um, i had a position that is uh, where there are a lot of sport teacher who would dream of that job that i was doing so i was doing everything i I could to go to work and I know even it was part-time um, and even I had to sit down a lot uh, during teaching and just go to work, go back to sleep, go to work, go back to sleep. That was the only thing that I was doing for uh, I think eight months then and because of the colleagues doing so mean like even not saying good morning or just looking the other side or just saying all uh, things that is not helping me at all. Um, even bullying at times, um, really unfriendly, ununderstanding. Um, I felt, I felt not welcome anymore. 
like not enough, not good. Uh, like my whole identity was scraped out. Like you are okay, Claren, done. You just need to go because you don't fit in anymore. So I felt uh, worthless and like I couldn't contribute anymore and was not good enough anymore and not welcome anymore, like I said. And then because of all these, of course, emotions triggering me all of the time, that was not helping. Uh, I get more exhausted, more pain. Um, everything got so much worse that I... I also, that the moment I cracked is the depression. I got depressed, like, oh my God. Like my whole self-esteem was gone, put in the ground. Like not welcome, worthless, not getting better, even worse, 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 worse. So I cracked. I had to live with my parents again because it, it got so bad. Yeah. So Claire, it don't be so hard on yourself because you went through so much. You went from being this healthy person who was, who was working multiple jobs, had a very happy and fun social life to being not even able to work one job and making a little bit of progress in your healing journey and then getting bullied and abused at work. And all that emotional stress took its toll on you as you were treating the stress you were getting at work and you were probably overdoing it because you wanted to be, you wanted to get back to normal, your body was getting stressed and you were getting sicker and sicker and sicker. So you fought really hard. And unfortunately you were just so sick that your body couldn't handle it. Now, when you did have this crack, you talked about that you felt like all of your life force was flowing out of you and that your nervous system was completely overwhelmed. And you went into this, this strong depression. Now, what were your parents doing at this point? Were you seeing any new doctors and what were you, you and your parents doing to help get you out of this deep, dark pit that you were in after you cracked? Uh, yeah, I think this is the moment when uh, my, my father uh, asked his teacher, his professor to take me in as a case to start treating me. This is the moment I went to, uh, to London. Um, because this it was... This is yeah. when you went to London. So now, now we're connecting the stories. This doctor in London that you talked about earlier is when you had this, this, this breakdown with your, with your yeah. parents. Okay. Yeah. And, th and thank God this doctor really helped you. Yeah. Yeah. This was the first time uh, uh, things were changing. I was rock bottom, uh, like, like, like a plant. Uh, there was not, like you said, no life force anymore. Um, yeah things start changing with these doctors. I mean, Claren, looking at you today, it's, and, the, and this, you would never think that somebody like you, looking at you today, you look so healthy, you sound so healthy. It's so hard to believe that somebody like you can be that sick. And I think that's inspirational. And I'm, and I'm, I'm pointing this out because our listeners can't see you. But again, you're, you live in Belgium, you speak three languages, you're on an English podcast doing an amazing job. And you were at a point where you were bed bound you had to stay in a dark room because you were so light and noise sensitive and yet here you are today, right? So clearly you didn't give up and you kept fighting and look, look where you are. I mean, it's, I'm getting emotional telling you this because you're, you're such a success story that we can't wait to share with the world, Clarence. So I just really want to make sure you understand how special you are and how proud Rich and I are to be interviewing you right now. So walk us through now this, this really great 
transformation when you start to see this doctor in England, which we talked about a little bit, and how your health starts to come back and how you start to get glimpses of your life back. Yeah. Um, I, I, things that I remember the most is that when the first, for the first time, I'm feeling, I'm starting to feeling a little bit better. Um, things I started to add was, example, um, yoga. I started to do meditation, uh, yoga, um, especially Pavamukhtasana yoga. And Pavamukhtasana is actually very, very kind, slow yoga, just by turning my wrists and ankles, just getting some movements again, because like uh, I said, I was in bed. I was not able to walk 200 meters. I, I was not able to stand up for five minutes. I just had pain everywhere. I couldn't move. I was couldn't do anything anymore. Um, when I started this homeopathic medicine from this uh, Professor Subrata in London, I finally was getting it out of bed a little more. I was feeling more alive a little more. So I started to find ways to move my body. As an athletic person, I really look forward to be able to use my body again, to be able to move around again, to feel literally free again. So yoga was my first step um, to work towards that by just working with the breath, uh, gentle movements, uh, finding little forms of success like, hey, see, I can move my body. Hey, wow, I can walk to the shop and work a lot on my um, nervous system because of my nervous system was so overwhelmed all of the time uh, that made me unable to go to the shop by doing yoga and meditation and breath work i start and of course uh, the medicine the homeopathy uh, let's i'm not going to talk about the homeopathy anymore because i have been uh, using this for two years and they always give um we do like every three months, we have a Zoom call or live call to do an update. Like, do we need to give something else or are we on track? I just, if you, if it's okay, I just want to tell what else I was adding to get Absolutely. where I'm now. Yeah. Yes. So to be, uh, 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 to be clear, I, I quit all antibiotics. I have only done any natural, only natural holistic healing. So every uh, antibiotic or conventional medicine at that point, I was already uh, left out. I had left out already then. Claren, again, our listeners can't see you. So I want to point out what you were doing visually for us, that people that are really sick and bed bound or, or housebound, this yoga you did, you're literally just moving your wrists, your arms, your ankles, and your legs. And that was the beginning to help you get your body moving to then take a walk down you know, a couple of, a couple of blocks, right? So that was the beginning to help you not be bed bound to then taking small walks to getting where you are today. So even if people are thinking, I'm so sick, I can't get out of bed, there is a starting point. And you had that starting point, you just shared it with our listeners. And that was, again, the beginning of you being able to walk and now get your life back, right? So I feel like that's a really important tip you just share with us, you have to move your body. And that's a really important part of recovery, no matter where you're at in your Lyme journey. Yeah, for me, three points. One is uh, Pavamukhtasana yoga, just yoga, very slow, gentle yoga, turning to get some blood 
running through your veins and through your body to get the energy flow. And the other one is breath work because when you don't breathe, there, there, is, there is no, uh, your breath is, is your life energy. So if you don't breathe, if you stop breathing, you just die. And literally uh, working on with the breath through yoga and meditation, also this starts um, flowing energy in my body, um, getting, feeling stronger again, just the breath and meditation to get uh, more of control in my mind because I had so much, uh, because of the depression and anxiety, my mind was a monkey, uh, a negative monkey, like um, making my, my, mm, making stories all of the time, like very negative stories and uh, m creating more anxiety and more chaos, more problems, like, oh my God, my future, and oh my God, no, no, no. So mindfulness and meditation it learned me to uh, stop the monkey in my head and just calm down, get in here and now. And these three things made me able to get out of bed and do small steps. So yoga, breath work, and mindfulness. And some of the things you told us, Clarence, offline that you also put in your questionnaire that really go with the mindset topic you were just talking about is that you see Lyme as an ally. And that seems so weird but you look at Lyme as an ally now and you're choosing love over fear, which is so powerful. You choose love over fear. You also, you also shared with us that you had to be aware of your, your limiting beliefs because I think every single one of us that deal with Lyme disease have these self-limiting beliefs and you acknowledge that and you had to change them into positive things and remove those, those limiting beliefs you had. And you had to ask for help and guidance, right? That's another thing. We need to ask for help and guidance sometimes. So a lot of these, these tools and tips you've learned can be so helpful to people listening to this podcast because, frankly, I can tell you they've been transformational in my healing journey to have these mindset shifts in my own experiences. So thank you for sharing that. And I do just want to – so, again, that was a mindset piece of it. The other piece you talked about was the, the yoga – and for everybody listening, because I think it's a really, really powerful part of the healing journey, I want to spell the, the type of yoga for people, because I know it's really hard to say, and I can't even, I'm not even going to try to, but it's P-A-V-A-N-A-M-U-K-T-A-S-A-N-A -A -A yoga. And that's the really gentle form of yoga you can do even in bed, if necessary, for people that are suffering with Lyme disease. And the breath work, just to expand upon what you said there, Claren, is really pivotal because when you're in fight or flight and your nervous system is stimulated like yours was, you're having shallow breaths. When you're not taking deep breaths and you're breathing shallow because you're in the state of anxiety and fear, you're not getting enough oxygen. Your body's not detoxing. When you start doing these, these breathing exercises and taking deep breaths, and it really does oxygenate your body and it helps purge toxins that your body was really just circulating around because you weren't weren't able to get these toxins purged out of your body. So we learned from a lot of our guests that deep breathing is not only a great tool to help you reduce anxiety, but also to help you detox as well. And I think it was a, a multifaceted tool for you in your healing journey. So those are all really, really powerful tips. But my, my follow-up question to everything you just told us, Claren, is were you, it sounds like, are you still treating with this, this doctor in England and doing Zoom calls with them? Is that still what you're doing today? No, I'm off any treatment. I'm off treatment. My treatment is um, self-love, yoga, 
red work diet and yeah i'm very uh, into mind body connection just being very aware of what's happening in my mind how i can control my mind how i can shift the negative like anxiety into the positive being aware of all my beliefs a belief system i'm very aware and yeah working with all these these are my medicines today and this is like a ongoing process it's not done the work is not done never claire it seems like the part of your journey you're at today is now you're in what we call the maintenance period of Lyme disease, where you're doing things to keep your body and your mind healthy so you don't have a relapse and you don't get sick again. Mm. So before I hand you back over to Rich, was there anything that you did after seeing your father's friends practice in England that's noteworthy in your healing journey that you want to share with our listeners? Or was that really the, the pivotal, important moment that started you getting better and better and better to get to where you are today. Yeah, going seeing that doctor and the 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 treatment, the homeopathic treatment that that man gave me was the moment uh, things start shifting. And and it wasn't, but it wasn't just one treatment. It was changing treatment. You mentioned you had Zoom calls every few months, and they would change the homeopathic medicine based on what you were telling them on that Zoom call. So how long did this go on for, Claren? How long were you treating with this doctor in England? Um, at least one and a half year, maybe two years even. Yeah, but two years. My final question before Rich picks up is a hard one. If you were walking on the streets of Belgium and somebody ran into you, you started having a conversation and they told you they've just been diagnosed with Lyme disease and they've been sick for many years and they're really excited to have a diagnosis, what advice would you give them that you wish you had when you were first diagnosed? Actually, I would say leave out the label, really. So Don't focus on the label. So Claren, let's talk about uh, your transformation and how this is transformational for you, because I, I see this really powerful contrast between the person that you described that you were before you had gotten sick with Lyme disease and now the person that we're now seeing together today, right? We, we can only, I can only have a vision of what you were before because it seems to be such a powerful contrast to what we're seeing now and today, right? So the person that um, you described uh, before we met you and before you uh, had gone on your Lyme disease journey was somebody who was a really aggressive person, somebody who was working really hard, somebody who was a, teaching traditional sports, somebody who was engaged in combat sports. You were, you were a judo practitioner at an international level. You were a boxer where you were constantly either hitting people or being hit. And that your entire sort of life was sort of surrounded in this sort of combat experience and this sort of fight or flight experience. And it sort of sounds to me that you had this sort of foundation where you're, you were not able to heal and your body was not able to protect itself because you were emotionally and spiritually and physically 
in this state of combat all the time. And then of course you got bitten by a tick and your body was not able to defend against the microbes that had been spit into you because you were in this fight or flight. You were in this fight all the time. You were in this combat mindset and combat spirit. And it wasn't until you went through this transformation and you got out of the combat spirit and you got out of the combat mindset that you were able to heal. And now we see this really different person, right? Where you are, um, you are now going from being a traditional fitness instructor and combat sport instructor to now being a health coach and using tools that are not combat related at all. So talk to us about that transformation that you went through personally to heal, which is now developing into a transformation professionally and how you're leading and teaching. First thing is uh, surrender. I came rock bottom. I was like, okay, this is it. I, I believed as many doctors told me on the way, you're not gonna get better. This is it, learn to live with it. Uh, and that came in really hard. So like, okay, let's, uh, this is it. Uh, let's see where we go. And accepting that I was this ill and that accepting it would take a lot of time. So accepting, not surrendering. I never surrendered actually. So accepting. Well, I, I, I thank you for clarifying that because I had a debate with a recent guest about the difference between surrender and acceptance. And I, and I agree with you. I think, I think they're very different terms and acceptance is a very important phase in ending the grief cycle that would then allow you to become something new, which you clearly have. Yeah. And the other part is um, self-love. Um, yeah. Less focus outside, more focus inside. It's about me, my life not about what others thinks, what are expects from me and what other likes me to do. No, it, that was a big shift. And well, can we pause that for a second, Clarence? So let's talk about this self-love process that you went through. How did you go from being a people pleaser and a combat sport participant and somebody who was in many ways hurting herself to someone who then transformed into somebody who was focusing on loving herself. What was that process? Things that helped me in the beginning were friends who helped me believing that I'm not my illness and I, my identity, me, uh, I'm still me. I'm still Clarence. I'm still a beautiful, energized, fun person. And it's not because at that moment, I was not able to join or do anything. Um, just the, um, how you say, splitting my, my identity, me, with what I was doing and, and what I was able to do or not to just split those. I'm not my illness at the first place. And people who gave me this belief and support, that helps me to... Uh, love myself more like okay I'm still enough okay this is an illness but that's not me I'm not my illness and then I went to a when I after the yoga and meditation I got back more back on my feet I went to do a yoga course 
a three weeks education. And in this moment, I called the teacher and I was like, okay, listen to me. A friend of mine, she joined your course. She had a very bad burnout and she's back on her feet. So I believe you can help me too as well. I just want to, I really want to get better. I really want a holistic health, whole approach. So I believe in yoga, meditation, breath work. I want more. She said, okay, come over. I said, okay, maybe I, I miss out half of the class because I still have a lot of brain fog. I still feel tired all of the time. I'm really just getting on my feet. My mom, she even had to drop me off in Tenerife. She did the whole trip with me to get me there. Like, drop me like, okay, let's do this. You're going to be in good hands. Just go and see what, where it brings you. Um, and what happened there is the experience of this transformation in three weeks already, like first week, anxiety over the top, uh, panic, um, feeling exhausted, uh, pain everywhere. And I, I think I missed out a few classes. So I didn't do all, it was whole, a whole day program for three weeks. And by doing for just one week, a whole day, having a diet, no meat, just uh, vegan diets, juices, meditation, yoga, and let's have also, let's say, a diet of words, um, mindfulness, like all the information is only about love and self-care and holistic uh, words coming in and out. After one week, I was already able to join all classes in one week. So just one week yoga retreat and training, uh, mindfulness, mind-body connection was a big difference. Okay, then, so let's, let, let's pause that for a second. So what was happening is you said that your mind was racing all the time, right? Your mind was, your mind was essentially controlling you. And this one week that you were, you were now studying in the yoga class, you were able to get control of your mind and you were, you were able to stop the survival software from being triggered all the time so that you had anxiety and ultimately depression, right? You got control of your mind in that week and that then allowed your body to begin to heal. Mm, not yet really in control, but experiencing more moments to be in more in peace and control. Not all okay. the time, but experiencing that it is possible and being in an environment that is actually really supporting you and so, not judging you. So that, that was the moment where you believed that there was a difference between your, your, your survival software and your mind and your cognitive control. And once you saw that distinction, that created in you a belief that you could learn how to control your mind and therefore go through a healing process. Yeah, that created the belief of the force of yoga and meditation and breathwork. That the three weeks, the transformation from coming in ill, like uh, I'm not, and believing like, oh, I'm gonna miss out all half of the classes because I'm too ill, I'm too sick, I'm too fatigued, uh, can't do this, very low self-esteem, I can't, I can't, oh my God. This negative uh, anxiety in my head all the time. And the end of the three weeks, being on my feet, being able to walk for one hour in three weeks, just being able to walk for an hour, being able to um, get the info insights, even just being able to, uh, how you say, absorb, absorb, 
absorb information, that was already a big thing. Before I was not reading books, television, movies, like you guys said, it's too much. I was a different person. And that moment in these three weeks, I was like, wow, yoga, breath work, meditation, food, it's power is amazing. So that was a, a, a big turning point in my life. So I changed lifestyle, belief, approach. So, so Claren, let's, let's talk about that because I think this is a really important model for one of the things that we've learned through this podcast, right? In many cases, people do not take action on something because they either don't believe it will work, they don't believe it will work for them, or they don't believe they have the resources, right? These are the three false beliefs that people have to overcome, right? And you saw someone who had gone through this three-week program and had success, so you had a model that you followed into the course, even though you didn't believe you'd be able to do all the courses and you didn't be able to do all the classes, right? You, you, you were willing to take action. And then when you got into the class, you were able to see that it would work for you. And that false belief came, came down. And then ultimately you did, you did come to believe that you had the resources in order to be able to complete this process, right? So, so action never takes place unless you believe that it will work that you believe it will work for you and you believe that you have the resources and you have to go through that breaking down of those false beliefs before you could have this breakthrough moment, which has now put you in the position in part because you've done many different things to become the, the, um, the very successfully healed person living her best life now. Yeah, um, indeed. It's for me, the experience it's very different to do a course but really experience uh, experience the the effects like going through the process doing the process doing the work the experience that uh, made yeah that made the shift in my belief like wow i've seen it i feel it it is true and after that i started to continue with yoga on my own writing uh, just all integrate the things that i've learned in three weeks and slowly slowly uh, getting stronger um, more balanced um, and after i think after a while i even applied for a um, a post in spain to go and teach yoga and meditation to work there as a volunteer in um in um, a retreat center to start teaching again because it's my passion to teach and now it's a different help really being working with health real health mind and body health is very different uh, health you can yeah so let's talk about that piece of your transformation right because you are a teacher you were created to be a teacher it's something you always had a passion for it's what you always wanted to be from when you were a young child and you did become a teacher. You went to the university, you became a teacher, you became a teacher, a, a sports teacher in school, but you had to leave that and you now come back full circle to becoming a teacher. But you're teaching movement very differently. You're teaching the use of your body very differently. So talk about that transformation and how you went from being a teacher who wasn't necessarily teaching a healthy way to use your body to become a teacher who is now teaching the mind-body connection and how to use your body as a way of supporting your health. 
yeah, I think it has most to do in the way I, in my state of being. Like before I got ill, I had a state of being um, very focused outside of me instead of inside of me, focused on being good enough, pleasing others, uh, looking good, um, doing good. Um, so focused on um, approval from others outside and teaching maybe un unaware or like uh, unconscious teaching like okay how to be successful uh, in sports or teach something so the other can do that and be successful so there's a lot of teams my my in that period it was more like okay teaching health it was not about health sports was more about trying to be successful the way you look people training out being uh how you say fit and look well and look good and it was how you say superficial very superficial right, so, and, so let, let's talk about that right so, so you are training people for example to look good rather than to be healthy. You're training people on how to be better at a combat sport than someone else because of, of, of the impact that that would have on their ego or to win a game because it would have an impact on the ego. And one of the things we've learned here, especially when we've interviewed Dr. Biroscano is one of the things he told us is if you don't move, you will not heal. But the problem is you could move improperly and actually hurt yourself, right? So if the goal is to look good or to be better than someone else or to get some kind of a pat on the back because you've won a game, then that's not going to be healthy movement and that's not going to be healing movement. Whereas if you are, if you are focusing on movement for health and for healing and immune support, then that's, that's healthy, that's healthy healing and that's a healthy movement and that will help you to heal. So that's really the lesson you learned, right? As, as a professional, despite being a university trained sports teacher, you are not, you are not teaching healthy movement. I will, uh, yeah, because I had myself a very uh, self-destructive um, movement very self-destructive. I was not aware of that. So everything I was doing was very unconscious with good intentions because I believe we do always with good intention, everything. Even when it's not bad for yourself or another, still you're doing with good intention. And by going through this process, by getting Lyme, uh, I also, I ever believe that everything happens for a reason. And um, by having these shifts in my belief system, like, oh, I can get better. And like finding align, align, alignments, alliance with my, with my body instead of being angry on my body all of the time, like, like it's working against me and it's, it left me and oh, I, uh, being angry all of the time with my body. Um, it all shifts because of the belief. Like, I believe I can get better. Like, listening to the, your podcast, Tick Bootcamp, like, hey, see, they, they've been through this. They all uh, feel not feeling alone. Also, this has been really important. Like, knowing that I'm not alone going through this. There are more people who have had 
emotionally, mentally, and physically through the same process. So the belief I'm not alone, the belief I can get better, and the belief that everything happens for a reason, even Lyme, I'm now really grateful, really grateful that I have had Lyme because it was the one thing and it really needed to be so severe to finally get back to myself, to get inwards, to get so ill that I had to be in a dark room and uh, in, in resistance, like, I don't want to be here. You have to be there because you need to go inwards. And that, that's, that's, that so, has been so uh, changing to my body forced me to go inwards. All I believe that my body and Lyme is just giving signals like, hey, you need to do something. Hey, you need to look there. Hey, you need to go inside. Hey, this, you are really not living the life you are meant to live or you're not living it in an authentic way. Because I believe when you live your life in an authentic way and you are with self-love and you are in a good place with yourself and your body then you're healthy your body is able to heal and it will flow and the energy will flow and things will get um things will heal and what have helped me during this journey to get there to have to have this mindset to have this new vision on life and and the way to live it is like i said yoga uh, going to work as a volunteer in a retreat center with like-minded people um seeing other examples going through the same process and getting better and getting or are already in the place that i want to get to myself so it gives me hope and courage and strength to to do it and go there and do what's necessary uh, and at last, the, the past year, I've been studying the brain and how uh, mental health works. And belief system is one of those. Uh, being aware that whatever you believe and all the stories you're running through your head, like um, if I would have been, like if we're talking about this and uh, if I would repeat the story all the time like oh i can't get better and oh the doctor said the doctor said i'm not gonna get better the doctor said there is no cure the doctor if i repeat this all the time then not, then i will stay there all the time i would not get better i that's my belief so the stories you are telling yourself of i have been telling myself very uh, they have been how you say one of the things that made, made me better or, or worse. And in the beginning, if, uh, the, 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 the first part was all the time stories like, oh, my bad stories, negative, uh, put stress on me, more stress in my body, more stress in my cells, repeat, repeat. And learning how to change the story and being aware the, of the impact of your stories, the way I talk to myself, the way I think about myself, the way whatever I'm speaking or writing, that all of these things have a lot of power and influence my body, my cells, my heart. And by 
how the brain works um, and especially the past year I've been working with emotions because um, one, of the, one of the things I've learned is and I believe is that emotions um, are one of the most impactful things of, on, on, on our health most impactful things so to myself I've had a very self destructive lifestyle um, pleasing because I believed I was not worthy or not good enough I have been suppressing a lot of emotions my whole life suppress 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 because I was afraid to express anyway everybody has his has ha had things situations in the in your childhood that created the belief system and one of my beliefs was that it's not safe to be angry. It's not safe to express. It's not safe to cry. So I've held a lot of emotions in. And I believe that every time when you, uh, that's how the, the brain works, like it wants to protect us. So every time when a trigger is there and you, you have a thought that creates stress and, a, and a, uh, an emotion, a negative emotion, uh, shame, guilt, angry, uh, grief, whatever, then the brain wants to protect you, to move on, to keep continuing whatever you think you need to do. And the moment, so it, 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 it creates a coping set strategy. And this coping strategy can be fatigue. It can be pain. It can be... That's it. Just creates a strategy to survive. So, Clarence, let's let's talk about that for one more quick second because we're we're going to start winding down. And that is that that of course emotions are signals from our body that we need to focus on. But you were in a process of suppressing these emotions, and because you were suppressing the emotions, you weren't getting the signals that you need to you needed to explore to determine what you needed to do to, to be healthy. I think every the signal of the body is to be aware that you are suppressing an emotion and it's the, an emotion that needs to be felt and hurt, cured. So Claren, let's, let's talk about the last thing that we need to talk about, which is you're now healthy enough to begin going back to work and you're gonna be starting, you're gonna be starting uh, a new business. So talk to us about the new business that you're starting now that you've regained your health. So I started a new business as a holistic life coach. And Congratulations. Thank you. Um, my uh, business is called Breathe and Bloom. And so I teach yoga here. I have my own yoga, little yoga studio where I, I work with small groups of five or six persons at this moment and teach yoga, meditation and breath work like the things that has helped me to get back on my feet. Um, I do as well coaching, learn uh, people how to be aware of their belief system and to give them uh, information how belief system affects the body and the mind. Everything. It actually affects your whole life and how you're able to change it like I believe that I'm not good enough how can I change it to like hey hell yeah I'm, I'm amazing and the, the the different the change of energy and the the impact on your physiology and your body and your heart everything and 
whatever the energy you radiate and you attract and that's all different conversation but so i coach people to be able to get rid of their pain it's uh, fatigue and live an authentic life and uh, i've done a lot of courses for that the past two and a half years or longer three years anyway and because i i've been through the process every step myself and i feel and i see that i'm living proof of all of this work i feel really capable to coach and teach others to do the same and so besides the yoga breathwork the coaching i organize retreats and uh, again because of my own experience how powerful just one week of retreat being immersed into these, these things to experience the difference, the possibilities. Um, this is, I want to pass on to others, to give hope, encouragement, empowerment, to make them feel it themselves, to take back control of their lives. The body, the mind, the heart, really, it's in your hands, really. It's really in our hands. That's really beautiful. And it's really beautiful that the teacher is always the teacher. So let's talk about, let's talk about now. The last question we ask everyone on TikTok podcast, as you're aware, um, if God forbid, someone who you loved came into the yoga studio right after this podcast and they had a tick biting them, what would you recommend they do so they wouldn't have to go on a terrible chronic Lyme disease journey? To really listen to the body, whatever, what's, What's trying to listen what it wants from you, what you're not listening to or what you're not seeing, to go inwards, to do, take really good care of the body and know it's your temple and not your enemy and do self-love. There is, find out the reason why this is happening. What are you missing? What are you not, where are you not living your life? For who are you living it? Like what's happening? Stand still, listen to the silence inside, really. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Clarence Smits. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Clarence Smits, please visit our Instagram page at claren.healthjourney. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of our post. Third, we here at Tick Bootcamp have created a Tick by Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been provided by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com to view our blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or any improvements you would like to share with us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, the folks in our community, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on iTunes, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you, as always, for listening.